Good morning. We are live. Kyle here, joined by my co-host, Brian. How are you this morning, Brian? Hey, good. How are you, Kyle? How is everyone today? I am doing well after a nice week off, relatively speaking. Pagan and I took it light. You and I did last Tuesday's show, but otherwise, we were we were busy beans yeah. behind the scenes, getting things here for the Revelator Morning Show. Uh, a little bit more smooth and polished when it comes to the website stuff. Good morning, Screaming Siren. We got Pagan awesome. in chat. Mortis is here. Silverwing's here. Space Unicorn's here. Looks like we got the whole gang wow. showing up. The whole gang. All right. So, uh, yeah, we did some major website overhauls this last week, which is really cool. We'll show that off a little bit later into it. Uh, Brian and I were poking around with some really fun stories, though, these last couple days. We're going to be bringing a lot to you guys today from the Singular Fortian website, which is a really good one. If you guys have not already bookmarked Singular Fortian, we were on there uh, mm. looking at their stuff. I want to say over the last two weeks, you and I have pulled a couple stories. We talked Mothman a couple weeks back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they are doing an ongoing investigation of the... Lake Michigan one. So they actually, um, that website, Singular Fortian, not only does reporting on stories, but they also do their own personal investigations of stories, which I think is really neat. Uh, we don't see that as much. That's less common, I'd say. Yeah, it's a really great website. And after you pointed it out to me, uh, I checked around on it a little bit. And uh, it seems like they cover a really broad spectrum of topics. And uh, they're pretty uh, objective and thorough with what they do cover. So uh, I personally, for uh, upcoming episodes, I'm going to be checking that website a lot more often. I have it bookmarked now. Um, and they come out with kind of uh, news every day like you'd see on like CNN or whatever, but it's uh, all spooky and weird. So it's a great site. Check it out. I want to say from memory, it's Tobias and Emily Wayland because I, I was I went down this rabbit hole um, and, and it's it's very tied in because they do a lot of stuff with small town monsters up on up on their site. They have plenty of interactions and reporting on the documentaries. Which ties in because okay. we're going to be talking about that today. Brian and I were uh, watching the Mothman mm. Legacy, which we were talking about with you guys last week, a week before. And they're coming on the show this Friday, the crew between behind uh, Small Town Monsters, to talk about the Mothman Legacy. And their upcoming December 15th movie documentary, which is called The Mark of the Bell Witch, which we also got to see in that. I really enjoyed. It was so good. Yeah, that's so cool. I can't wait for that one. That one looks really good. Uh, in both of these films, the cinematography is just really good. Um, they're just uh, they're great to look at. You just want to keep watching them. So, um, yeah, we'll talk more about that later. I very much agree. Good morning, Red. How are you? You guys, Red has become the very first uh, member up on the new website. So that that's definitely something we're going to poke at today. Uh, what we basically nice. did, Brian, you and I talked about this a smidge uh, off air mm -hmm. after last week's episode. So I'm, I'm kind of giving Brian the uh, the lowdown here a little as you guys are seeing it. But for the website, yeah. chaosandshadow.com, uh, Pagan and I worked really hard on it through, we use Wix as our hosting service. They have a lot of cool integrations. So we actually got a member area started. Um, we had our store and like services that could be booked and stuff all over the place. We had them all on different sites that were doing it for free. But 
you know how that is when you start sending people all across the internet. Everyone gets lost, a little annoyed, myself included. Like, I don't like that. So we were able to thankfully yeah. pull it all in-house under one roof. So if you guys want to go and sign up for that, you can either become a member for free or uh, a paid member. And it works just like Patreon. Although I would argue a lot more flexible than Patreon because... I know some people don't like the, the the Patreon billing you at a certain time of month and their plans can be a little bit harsh around the edges when people don't know how it works and are unfamiliar with Patreon. So this thing should be a little more fun for folks and they can go check out all the news and such, um, which is yeah, always Yeah, cut out the middleman. It's always better that way. Cut out the middleman, says Brian. That is That is the word on the street. Get rid of them. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Have you, have you used, have, you, you have a Patreon set up for yourself, right? For your, your uh, ghostquest.net, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about it? Like, are you a Patreon man? Do you like it? What do you, what do you feel when you use it? Cause I just felt a little chafed after a couple years. Hmm. Um, so I only started Patreon maybe six months ago hmm. and, uh, I like it. Uh, I think it's a good way. Um, so on my Patreon, I do... Um, I offer people access to my videos like a week Ooh. early and my blogs and stuff that yes. I write. Um, and I only have a few followers on Patreon uh, for my website, which is ghostquest.net. But um, I have liked it so far because it before I published my first book, I didn't have anything to sell. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were people that still wanted to support me. And um Beautiful. Yeah, I've noticed a few things that kind of were a little weird. They keep changing policies about like taxes and stuff like that. That um, but I Yeah, I've never had any personal negative experiences, but Kyle last week when we talked, you did uh mention a couple of things that I forgot to I was supposed to Google uh, actually, <laughs> but um yeah, a few things that were a little concerning, but uh overall I think the concept as a whole is pretty good. Um yeah, it, but it's, it's, the details. that's right. You <laughs> nailed it. And so, I mean, we, we used it for we, we used the chaos and shadow one here. I mean, I've been a Patreon user probably since 2013, I think is when I probably about, about first subscribed to a show that I can think of. So that was me paying mm -hmm. out. And then I think I started using it like three or so, four, four years after that, maybe 2016, 17, um, to mild success. And, and then this is, so this is just a new endeavor for us to try and, uh, take a little bit of that responsibility yeah. into our own hands to be a little flexible. So we're going to keep reporting back to you guys as we test and learn, because that's what it's all about. Um, we're also, I'll shout out to the people, especially if you're at home listening to this episode, uh, and, and cannot see the screen, please go check out. We got a community section out there that we're going to try and build up because as Brian and I were also, he was listening to me BS the other day. I'm like, I'm so annoyed with all the social media sites. I go on there for, you know, uh, cryptids or something like that. And then I get, I get sucked down the political or otherwise rabbit hole because that's what they're trying to do. You know, Twitter's got their things on the side. They want you to interact. They're trying to inflame you and get you chatting and down a rabbit hole and i was like i just want to be away from all of that for a bit be politically active but when i go to search my cryptids i want just cryptids no sidebars no ads no you know most yeah. like tweets so it's like let's just throw in this section of the site so people can come in and it works almost identically to facebook's layout like you join it you can just you log in you chat and post photos and all that cool stuff so if anyone out there is interested nice. definitely check that out Peggy and i will be over there and active 
Uh, we got all kinds of little communities set up for it, too. So we will keep you guys knowing about that. But without further ado, Brian, let's let's head into one of our first uh, topics for today, which is actually... I don't know if this is technically considered a little bit of an update for our show. This one you pull, or we got right. from the uh, Singular 4TN from November 3rd. Again, Tobias and Emily Wayland up there. This right. is mother and daughter report sightings of red-eyed winged, quote, demon in Schiller Park, Illinois. And this mm -hmm. is, I believe, part of their ongoing watch, like we said at the top of the show, of the just strange happenings in the region. It sounds like it sounds like there have been a long list of sightings of Mothman in that region or something that appears like a Mothman dating way back. And I know the Singular 14 has a beautiful um, they have a timeline on their website somewhere. I've, I've lost it at the moment, but I know they have a timeline oh, nice. for us to uh, go back and chase the story. It's it's pretty fascinating. That's really cool. Actually, that's a nice tool. Um, for people who do research and stuff like that to have, you know, an actual chronological timeline. Uh, like for me, that would be so useful for some of the stuff that I write about. Um, it totally is. I, I, I will keep poking around till I find it, but I know I came across it before um, on the site. Just absolutely gorgeous. Because, yeah, like I said, they're actually out there. They're collecting these stories from folks. So. As as this sighting goes on, let me let me kind of give you guys a little bit of a primer on this one. Uh, Manuel Navarrete of UFO Clearinghouse received a report recently from a woman who said that she and her mother witnessed a quote demon with quote red eyes and very large wings end quote around 9 p.m. on October 26th in Schiller Park, Illinois. So this was just before Halloween when this happened. And uh, that is a village mm -hmm. on the outskirts of Chicago's metropolitan area. And according to that report, right. the woman says, I had gone to the kitchen to make myself a cup of tea. And as I was filling the kettle with water, I heard my mom scream and then call out to me. I dropped what I was doing and I ran to her, found her in the room with the lights off. She told me to keep the lights off and come to the window and look out into the backyard. I looked and I saw a large creature with red eyes and very large wings perched on the back fence. My mother was whispering... Es un demonio, demon, demonio, demonio. Sorry, Hi, Kyle is not a very good. It, it translates to it's a demon. Uh, Something. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and start. She started praying uh, as they watched the thing. It was uh, perched on the fence and looked like. And I'm sorry. And it was looking side to side and kept slowly moving its wings. We looked at it for about a minute before it flapped its wings and flew off. Very reminiscent mm. of Mothman sightings. We're just hanging out in the backyard. Yes. Yeah, that was that was what I thought at first, too, because the description and the uh, geographic area kind of screamed out to me Mothman because uh, O'Hare International Airport is in Chicago. And uh, one of the notes that I made when I was reading this article is that there's been 10 sightings, alleged sightings of Mothman. Um, at O'Hare Airport wow. since 2019. Um, so potentially, my mind, the first thing I thought was that this is basically on the outskirts of Chicago. My mind thought Mothman because uh, by the sounds of it, this is a very physical being, not like a spiritual uh, manifestation or anything like that. So, you know, um, 
I've never heard of anyone seeing a, a physical demon. Uh, usually, like, you hear about, like, possession or, like, hauntings and stuff like that. So my mind went to Mothman for sure. Yeah, I mean, with the with the, the wings are a, a big call out, right? That that is very traditional yeah. in Mothman style. The the red large kind of glowing eyes, another huge huge Mothman uh, point out there. That that's commonly seen. This one, I admit, does not refer to them as glowing per se. Though I imagine if you're seeing them in the middle of the night, they are glowing of some degree. Uh, but very right. common back to the original Mothman sightings of having these these bright red eyes that stand out to you. You can't mm. miss them. Yeah. And um, so uh, one thing I'd also like to say mm -hmm. real quick is this article, it says uh, a woman's daughter. This woman who reported this was actually 32 or, or something, I think, mm -hmm. years old. And her mother was in her 60s. So this isn't like a child. This uh, and and her mother who, but you're you're talking about somebody like you know probably around our age, Kyle. I'm 32 yep. as well. So yeah. Um. So yeah, these are um. You know, it's interesting, and um, they said that this happened in a village, uh, which I happen to live in a village, and I googled what the population on average of a village is, and that's between 500 and 2,500 people um so this is a relatively rural area potentially um you know with uh you know in point pleasant for example the mothman sightings there it was in a rural area and one thing that this um i'm not sure if it was this article or the documentary the mothman prophecy one that we both watched uh where it says that um a lot of these mothman sightings occur near water and at night um so potentially there's some links there um you yeah. know between it being a rural area um and maybe you know the mothman just lives there and uh goes to the airport to hang out i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what is the airport thing is uh is a little strange you're right though i do remember in the mothman legacy small town monsters uh doc that we were just talking about uh mm. i mean Silver Bridge collapse in Point Pleasant, like you said, very much on the water. That whole area is all those towns are just dotted down as the the water connects, the rivers connect. Uh, right. I remember someone saying that they had seen it just like flying over the water down there. Like there was a lot of connection to your point with the Mothman being near the water. There's everything's got a drink, so. Yeah, and the, the the thing with the Mothman that really leans itself to this kind of Fortean high strangeness is, mm. and this is where my knowledge starts to end a little bit, so I can't go whole, the whole way down this road for, for sure, but I can say I know that there is a connection between liminal spaces, like, thing, like areas that things are passing through. People have drawn connections to the Mothman, Indrid Cold, all the stuff that happened down in Point Pleasant, to they, they connected it with bridges um injured cold yeah. apparently first came out uh, and introduced himself in like a, an intersection spot keel talks about the end of roads the culmination of roads and rivers coming together like there's something Cross about those and... yeah something about crossing yeah. over and all of that kind of triggers something i guess more metaphysical or somehow yes. outside of right. the physical we accept yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, because um 
yeah, a lot of people that think that uh, maybe the Mothman is some type of more of a metaphysical uh, being or something like that, it might use the the energy. Uh, or I think in the documentary, it says something about um, how even uh, I think Native American, some Native American cultures believe that where rivers meet and bodies of water collide, it creates like a vortex or a portal uh, for those type of beings. So it's possible that, um, you know, that's what attracts them or or allows them to, you know, pass through the veil or whatever it is. Um, in my opinion, though, the Mothman to me in, you know, based on uh, the Point Pleasant accounts, he seems like a physical creature to me and less like a metaphysical thing to me. And I know, Kyle, you've said that you think it's more metaphysical. Am I correct? Or? Uh, you know, I guess that is kind of one of the things that, beget, that gets really interesting with the Mothman. I believe the Mothman has, I believe it is a way more physical than some of the people portray in that documentary, right? When we were watching that, some people yeah, exactly. imply that it's like a mist form that comes into to some sort of form. I get the feeling, right. I mean, my take on it is the Mothman is a physical entity, but I don't right. know that I believe the Mothman resides normally in our plane of existence, um, I, okay. there is very much, we've, we've touched on that idea that there's things that could just be right outside of our senses. We see this all the time, right? Yeah. Dogs react to things that we can't blah, blah, blah. There's so many examples. I could go into that for hours, but if it could, right. if these things are just outside our perceptible range, it is interesting that sometimes they might come into it. So maybe yeah. the Mothman is this, uh, I, I guess I always saw him as some interdimensional being, and that might be why yeah, right. the Mothman stands out to me as arguably my favorite cryptid. Is just that <laughs> yeah. he's connected so much beyond the physical realm, but by default, I guess. Right. Very true. Yeah, and that's definitely something I think is possible with the Mothman. My theory is that. Um, you know, with the Point Pleasant one, it seemed like he lived in those uh, munitions bunkers. Um, and if you think about it, this leads into kind of an, I think we've mentioned this a couple times, but like airports having underground <laughs> sub levels to yeah. them, maybe the Mothman lives in there, you know, kind of undetected in the dark and, uh, you know, maybe there's, uh, or even underground caves because, um, they mention in the documentary, the Appalachia region, which is the Appalachian mountains on the East coast, um, and there's a lot of caves there. And a lot of those caves, I believe, are connected underground Ooh. and stuff like that. So it would be a perfect area for Bigfoots and Mothmen and all those other uh, goblins and things to hang out. Um, so my theory is that he's got a... <laughs> It would either have to be a very powerful inter interdimensional being to like I, to be able to control when he's seen like that. You'd imagine that that would be I I don't know. That's hard for me to conceptualize. So maybe that's why I think that he's probably more like a cryptid than a like a supernatural kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to say. It's, you're you're 
theory is very valid and a lot of people do believe and a quick interjection i don't personally believe he can control when he's being seen either i from all the reports he i would say actually can't um he often Hmm. is reported as as and the reason i say it that way is there's a lot of evidence to the contrary that he can't control when he's being seen because a lot of folks Mm -hmm. stumble upon the mothman um in very like strange states of him not like almost being ready to present himself like he uh, in that documentary you heard, heard two cases of people seeing him like huddled up on a rooftop kind of perching um we, right. we see and hear all this stuff about him just being in someone's backyard when they look out the window which again makes yeah. me feel like i don't know that's intentional i don't i don't know that he's like trying to get a people's attention as much as they're like finding yeah. him in their backyard, just like a, a loose animal, really, you know, a dog running through your yard. They're like, oh, look, look outside. Right. There's the mothman. Or uh, in that doc, there's some people that claim to have heard him on the roof. But I won't go too much into detail yes. on that for you guys. That'll can check that out yeah. in the doc. But right. Yeah. We'll talk about the documentary. Uh, yes i think he just kind of scoots in and out um either probably on accident is my thinking i i I guess i get the feeling that a lot of cryptids so this is where yeah i have a hard time believing a lot of flesh and blood cryptids exist just because of our technology and like how hard it is for us to go out like i i think for a lot of them we could probably have found them by now and so it does yeah. make me wonder if some of these more mystical creatures do just inadvertently or otherwise kind of blip in or out of our plane of existence. It's a theory True. that I've been clinging to more and it makes more sense the less evidence there is. Because I'm like, you know, yeah, go on. I have. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I mean, Bigfoot's one of the greatest examples of that. I think where it's like you'd think we could find Bigfoot is for as big of our forests are and stuff. For as many encounters of people have claimed, I would think at that point we'd be able to get something physical. But if it happens right. to walk behind a tree and then phase out of our reality, just that's just yeah. how it works. That would make sense why yeah. it could blip in and out and in and out and in yeah. and out without actually having like dung or anything right. left behind to like find it. Because uh, hard to live yeah. in a vacuum. And to support your theory, um, you know how, like, a lot of times people will see uh, cryptids like Sasquatch, and it'll also be accompanied by, like, UFO phenomena. And if you think about, like, maybe stealth technology is, like, shifting frequencies between whatever, Mm -hmm. and then, like, when the UFOs become visible every once in a while, they bring a stray Sasquatch with them and like something crazy like that, you know, cause um, like yeah. a lot of these theories uh, in the documentary that we'll talk about later talks about this even more is that a lot of these paranormal phenomena are somewhat tied together and they share a lot of common traits and stuff like that. So there could be some linking thing that we just don't know yet like you know if it's ufos and and stuff like that then you know someday i think we're gonna find that little missing keystone piece because we have a pretty good grasp of physics at this point Mm -hmm. but like we're gonna find that little piece and then all of it's just gonna make sense or you know maybe it isn't connected but to a lot of people think it is and um i see a lot of similarities um, between a lot of different folklore and like alien abductions and um, c- 
cryptid sightings and stuff like that. So I think that's a very that I think that that idea of um, something else inadvertently b- knocking it into our our realm could absolutely be a possibility. I mean that that I feel like I'm going out in a sci-fi lane there. I'm probably not nearly yeah, as much. I, I was going to say kind of a random thought. It's <laughs> a random thought. It's hard to prove, but at the same time, it also does sound like something that science would agree to these days uh, just knowing where we're where our scientists are aiming at with all these different like string theories and all all that i'm like well actually right. the idea that if we were trying to use some kind of high or you know if someone else is using high stealth technology that possibly like offsets uh the way light yeah. reflect refracts off of certain things i'm not a scientist and i'm making these words up from a memory but like maybe that does shift some of those things into a spectrum that we can begin to perceive even if just for moments right john keel goes on in his books to say that with mothman stuff that if you look at a ufo and this is not just keel this this exists outside of keel stuff but they say that like you can actually get uv burns on your eyes from looking into like looking at ufos because they put off yeah he calls them itinic Mm -hmm. rays um, which again, mm-hmm. it's just like being at the beach without sunshades and like staring up at the sun a lot and you're li- literally burning your eyes. You get a, um, oh, there, uh, conjunctivitis is what you get. You get a non, 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 uh, viral or non-communicative conjunctivitis, but you get like, yeah. So it's not pleasant. Um, but that again, if, if, if these people with UFO reports are saying your eyes are kind of getting toasted a bit, what is to say that in the process of being toasted, that they're not shifted even temporarily, you know, maybe even just for like an hour or three, whatever small window it could be. Maybe that lets them kind of see that Mm -hmm. realm. Uh, And it might explain some of even the more uh, not, not strongly reported cases. Like, so if you could see into another realm, it might explain some of the more almost shadow figurey style things as well. Cause like not your eyes aren't adjusted to it. You just blasted with right. it. So it's like, I can't see. I can see something moving around, but I don't know what that shape is. It's a blur or a mist. Right. Who knows? We're really out there yeah. on, a, on a metaphysical ledge. <laughs> but I it's love interesting. it. interesting. Yeah. And maybe it's perhaps like, you know, UFOs, maybe they use uh, some type of material that we haven't discovered yet where like um if you believe certain crystals can like alter frequencies or absorb certain energies then you know one could also theorize that certain materials we haven't discovered yet can do similar things or emit certain energies Um, that would make these creatures present because a lot of times in areas like, you know, Kyle, I know you and Pagan have talked about like the Bennington triangle and the Bridgewater triangle. Um, a lot of these sightings, uh, they all go together and they're all kind of accompanied by each other where people in these areas, like, uh, think the Bermuda Triangle, but there's several throughout the United States. Like one, there's one in Massachusetts, there's one in Vermont, and in these areas, people experience uh, drastically increased sightings of UFOs, and with them, uh, cryptids, ghost sightings, uh, like you know, just a lot of you know missing persons all the time. Um, so theoretically, you know, 
they could all be tied together. And uh, if you also believe mm-hmm. the reports of like the black helicopters that go in to investigate these things. Um, so it's possible that somebody's already looking into that type of connection, you know? Can I just say, I, I one of the first things I woke up and saw today on Twitter in relation to the black helicopter idea uh, was, I guess, I guess it was in some like British camping show sort of thing. They had like one of their interiors, of the ministry guys on there. And like, it, it's, it's just like this five second soundbite of him basically saying, yes, we have a department that looks into UFOs. And I was just like, Twitter was oh. blowing up with this today. Uh, and I was just kind of, yeah, you sure you could find um, someone's probably retweeting it out there. I, I could find it too in my thing, but, um, it I'm was sure just interesting to see, and it, it begs all those questions. I, I look at it from so many different perspectives and like, okay, that's just mm. a strange soundbite to be throwing into the show. This guy, what was he? He was talking about something unrelated at first. And he goes, yeah. yeah context is important. <laughs> oh, he was telling, so he's telling the guy next to him about how, you know, he's like, oh yeah, in my previous job, I worked with real life spies. And, like, and the other guy asked him like, oh, they're James Bond like? And he goes, no, you know, normal people, right? They're normal. That's how spies work. They can't be running around right. shaking, not stirred yeah. martinis at the bar with all these women on their arms. Like, no, it's it's just, you know, your grandma's passing along secret yeah, information. You blend in. Right. Yeah, most spies do. So he's they, talking they about appear perfectly normal, that. So. And then he goes, yeah, and you should have seen we have this division that looks into UFOs. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, some people would say this is us trying to be like normalized to the UFO stuff. Like, this is not right. per se disclosure by any means. I'm like, I don't know Preparation. what this is. It'd be like the equivalent of someone on Survivor or something being like, yeah, we look into UFO. It doesn't surprise uh-huh. me, but I guess it'll be interesting right. if the British government does disclose more on that. Like, I would just be interested um, with the Italian government's yeah. reports and ours. I want a lot more information. Yeah, because I, I want to say like India also looks into UFOs. Ooh. I may have seen something about that. Um yeah, a lot of countries do it. Um, yeah. And like you have to imagine certain countries like I remember back in 2012 or 13, early 2010s ish, um, there was a, a ton of UFO sightings over Brazil. And um, to me, it would be really surprising if anyone in security in that country after four or five or six or ten of them didn't start looking into it because uh, from a national security perspective, you really should. <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot more countries do look into that than let on to it. Uh, they may not have like a division of UFOs per se, but I do think that they probably investigate those reports. At least you would hope they do. <laughs> Before we take our first break of the day, I, I have a, a recommendation of a show. I watched it for free on YouTube. I do have a YouTube premium sub, so keep in mind that might have made it free for me. But there is the documentary up there called Mirage Men. That is very interesting if people haven't watched it. It is um, a documentary about the disinformation agents that work for the U.S. government. This covers the the really big one I've talked about briefly in passing on here before of the um, the billionaire dude that that worked with NASA 
to develop all kinds of like he, he was working with NASA on this stuff. He starts like detecting emissions from a nearby Air Force base. Mm. He reaches like literally across the street from his house. Like he's detecting all these things. He's a scientist. He works for NASA. Like he's smart and ri- yeah. like rich. Like he has the tools. This is in the 80s, by the way. And um, he okay. contacts them. And instead of working with him, instead of like, again, this man with some degree of security clearance, he works with yeah. NASA. Like he's not ran, mm-hmm. he's not Brian and I just off the street. Instead of working <laughs> right. with him, they decide to mislead him on this wild adventure where they go through and set up all these false things and just it's it's a very yeah. interesting story. Admittedly, Brian, I blame it a bit for where we stand like right now with you know, you and I have talked about all the fake news stuff. Like this is kind of back at the, the government matrix. where it's like you guys intentionally put out misinformation. Yes. Now, whether or not it really was to hide extraterrestrials, whether or not it was to, um, I, oh, geez, I don't know, uh, like uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the thing is, you put out so much misinformation. You literally drove a dude into the psychiatric ward. He actually goes crazy um, over this. Awful. Yeah. And here it was just intelligence officers at the Air Force. I want to say, and if any of them are out there listening, got to say, it seems pretty sick and deranged what they did. Like, it's, I'm going to say it was, might have, might have been a little bit of their, like, fantasy, if you will. Like, we're not torturing people abroad. We're torturing this guy in half. Like, it just felt bad. Um, so yeah. I, I had a hard time getting through parts of that documentary, just watching the, the information agents sit there and be like, well, we did drive this man crazy. I'm like, Ugh. feels weird. Man. Gosh. Highly recommend though. Good talk. Yeah. And it's, it, that's all very true. We do set aside in our national security budget funds, uh, for, you know, propaganda type things, uh, who knows how much of that comes back on our people, you know, like how much of that is used against us because, you know, we do spread uh, pro America propaganda overseas and stuff like that. But, you know, and it's really, it's hard to tell uh, what, you know, we've talked about before. It's like in some degree or another, we're, we're living in the matrix because it's all just these things or like allegory of the cave. We're all just looking at shadows projected on the wall by somebody else to see what they want us to see basically or or even so we're just not glimpsing true reality at its face value um so who's to say what's true and what's real and you know things like ufos and uh mothman's cryptid uh mothman's mothman it's like how much of this as information has been altered and you know misinformation has been applied especially to ufos because i think that if that's something we look into uh we want people to just dismiss it uh and we want people to not also look into it or question it um so definitely a good point you make Yeah, and so so that follows um, uh, that follows Rick Doty is the guy that is the uh, the the misinformation person. A 2013 uh, doc, but it was only recommended to me recently, so I recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. You can check it out there. It's on Prime Video. Uh, like you said, I watched it over on YouTube. There's a couple other sources. It's pretty short. It was a really enthralling watch for an hour and a half. 
Um, so we're going to take mm. our five-minute break here, you guys. Go bookmark Mirage Men. I'll try and include that in the, the, the notes of this episode as well. Take a minute while we're, while we're AFK. If you guys have not, go check out the new website, chaosandshadow.com. Go poke around the stuff. Get yourself your free account set up there. If you want to consider subscribing to the network, please do so. There's all kinds of new perks and things. Brian, five minutes. Let's go grab some coffee and such. Coffee, Come coffee. back and hit our next story, chat. We'll see you then. Hello, everybody. We are back. We are back with more news, Brian. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, chat. Thank you for hanging out with us during our little AFK break there in the middle. We are going to be diving into our next story. What do we have lined up next, Brian? Right. So the title of this article, Cruise Director Captures Second Sonar Image of Large Object in Loch Ness. So Loch Ness is where the Loch Ness Monster lives. And uh, I guess this article, uh, there's uh, the director of this ship, uh, I believe it says he's been working on the loch for over 30 years. Um detected a large heat signature uh like a very very large one uh indicating a fish that they estimate is at least 20 feet long uh but they don't know what it is and uh nobody knows yeah i was hoping you'd uh pull up that picture mm -hmm. because you can see it and it is very large so um yes possibly the loch ness monster possibly a large fish uh, possibly a school of small fish. Um, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Now, qu question. I presume this to be, is this is this actually heat signature? Is this just sonar? Because I, I right. presume so this to be sonar, sonar, but there is a water temp indicator, huh? Right. Yeah, so, I yeah, guess I guess sonar channel. wouldn't be a heat signature, but it's a, it's an object. That's uh, I guess the shape of an object. Sorry, yeah. No, and that signature. and that's fine because I I was curious. They they actually go on to talk about the one of the differences and one of the challenges behind finding Nessie, which was that older tech. Um, we we I mean, gosh, if you've watched yes. anything on the History or Discovery Channel last. 30 years i'm sure you've seen a dozen things saying we're scanning loch ness and they always do that yeah. it's kind of like an annual at least it feels like one um yeah. but this article goes into good detail again from a uh, singular 14 they go on you know to explain how the tech uh really wasn't there in the past and that this is a new right. tech that can actually measure so the old one was just for mapping the, the floor of it. That's in the earlier days. Even even 20 years ago, it was right. just mapping the seafloor. Now it actually mm -hmm. maps columns. Um, so it, it's more right. like taking a whole segment of the water instead of just looking at the bottom, which to that yes. point, I guess, lets them see if there is a large mass. But right. gosh, I, I give it up to them. Like sonar, yeah. I know it's getting better and better and better in tech and science and all that, but Man, that just that does seem like a hard way to detect a singular entity down there. Just it's not right. Yeah, so yeah. Because you, um, yeah, and I'm glad that they explained it in this article because, to my understanding, sonar only worked one way. Mm -hmm. Where it'd be like if this was your boat, the sonar would would detect anything directly underneath it. But like to find. Loch Ness Monster, you'd have to have a grid of boats going over the whole 
lake. And uh, so, but I guess what this method does is in, as the boat, instead of looking directly down under it, it sends like a little thing that kind of goes in a 360 wave. So it's oh. like, it sees everything around it and then it goes throughout, you know, it things around uh oh, we're losing Brian right now. The internet has betrayed us. It's snowing and it's a little windy here. I don't know. Hopefully, I stick around. Though. I love it. Honestly, that is that is my goat. My my mother um, is a strong proponent of any time it snows. She's like, my internet's gone, and I'm like. You just have a router, mom. That's not situated in the um, right way. She she just yeah. doesn't have the details for it. Bless her heart. Well, we live in. Uh, speaking of villages, I live in a village of about sixty people, wow. and uh, yeah, it takes them about two and a half months to get out here to connect the internet when mm. somebody moves in. I'm not even joking. Every time Seriously? the wind blows, it goes. Yeah, it's we live in almost Canada, Vermont. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah, they're where, where my mother is in Pennsylvania. They also have like um, they're up on a mountain. And so there's like no oh, like, yeah. yeah, it's I I, I considered moving um, close ish by at one point, And that was one of the limiting factors was like <sighs> the Internet speed. I think the mm -hmm. internet speed, and this was just like two years ago I looked at this, the internet speed there now was equivalent to the stuff I had back in like 2008 or something like that. And I was like, whoa, yeah. this is hard over a decade or whatever. But it happens. The more yeah. rural you get, the, uh, mm -hmm. the, le the less tech amenities you have and the more flaky it is. It's out there on its own. Yeah. Yeah, my internet is 1.5 megs down, and I think there's one higher package that's like three megs down, but that's what? as high as it goes. One? Yeah. Are you serious? 1.5. Yes, it takes me like, if my friends want me to download a game, I'm like, will you still be playing it in three days? Because oh that's how long God. it's going to take me to get the game. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Brian, yeah, I'm surprised you can time. even connect to us at this rate. I know. That's why every time I upload a YouTube video, I'm like, well, I'll be back in like four hours when my Internet's back because it uses my whole Internet. I'm not even kidding. It's it's bad. Chat wants to have a moment <laughs> of silence for Brian's Internet. I know. Thank you. Take guys. your moments uh, over, everyone. I, yeah. Your moment of silence will be overcome by my moments of yelling at it all day. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for, for, for you know, making this work for us. Thank you for getting in here. Uh, honestly, in the <laughs> weeks that we've been doing this, that was the first weird, like, little outage we had. To be fair... Yeah. I feel like winter's coming. Yeah, I, I run this thing on my computer because I stream a lot that like tells me when we have outages um, going on. Okay. And I detect That's them. Good. This is going to sound maybe weird. I don't think so. I think this sounds re really solid, but the Internet people think it's weird, but they don't have a solution. In the winter, as the season starts really changing and here in Salt Lake City, it's pretty vast. We're talking like 80 to 20. Like it's crazy. And it does it a lot. Yeah. Like today it's going to be almost 70 we had snow in 28 three days ago. So it's wild right now. And I noticed that when yeah. that happens, my internet seems a lot more flaky. I'm convinced that there could even just be a single fiber line that's like bent at the wrong angle that like maybe with yeah. the swelling and stuff, wherever they have yeah. this stuff, because I'm an apartment complex, right? So it's not, I don't know where you guys wired this, 
But they're like, no, that's not true. And I'm yeah. like, okay, well then tell me why in like March to May and then in November yeah. to December, my stuff gets really flaky when it's also not 70 or solid outside. That's definitely possible. And honestly, those people that you talk to on the phone, they, the service reps, they don't really, they're not like the tech technicians. So they probably don't really think of that. Cause that's like, like I've worked at the cable company oh, I've yeah. worked, uh, at a, uh, Metrocast, which I call ghetto Comcast. But, uh, yeah, uh, they don't really teach you that in depth. It's like they teach you how to restart the router. Sure. And that's pretty much like that's it. Now, but um, yeah, it's I, possible. I have I, I this is we're totally off subject here, which is fine. But I, I have Google Fiber oh. out here, which is one of the reasons I moved to Salt Lake City. When I was like, OK, where am I going to go? I just, you know, kind of just scan around. And I was like, ooh, pro- kind of the best Internet in the country for the cheapest price. So it's like, OK, well, you got this Internet man's nice. ear, right? So I moved here for that reason. And they do have a lot of people that like get on the phone with you that are actually engineers, not so much just reps and all that, which is crazy. Most people, like you said, do not ever. I've gotten on the phone with like, Comcast. Yeah, like I, I had one of the engineers for Google Fiber in the area, like give me a cell phone number. He's like, oh, you're a streamer. You're doing this. Like, like, let me know. Just text me if you have any troubles and we'll look into it, which is, again, outrageous when that's you start looking nice. at ISPs. Right. That doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. But even with all that, they're yeah, like, that's oh, no, that's, service. they're like, that's not the problem. And I'm like, uh, maybe it isn't. But tell me what is. Yeah. <laughs> and no answer on that. Yeah. One. A lot of these rural towns, it's it's a monopoly. There, yeah. you have one choice for internet, and if you don't like it, too bad. It's just, uh, yeah, it's not great. Well, that does, but uh, it ties in Google with fiber. A, must be nice. Yeah, awesome. I love it. I lo- I love it. Except that I've had a lot of issues with it that I don't know. Most people wouldn't notice them, but since I'm a streamer and like when we're live, our connection is you know even the slightest outage shows it's down frames yeah. and all that. So if you're watching Netflix, yeah. you're never going to notice it because Netflix is going to buffer it. And, you know, all your YouTube videos are going to buffer because we're talking like four second outages. Right. Yeah. So we're talking like a four second out, which is huge on Twitch. That is enough to take your stream offline. But you're watching YouTube. Right. You're not even going to get the spinny wheel because it's buffered probably like five minutes worth of content, you know. So I'm in a weird spot. But one of the things I've been considering long term, Brian, like I mentioned a minute ago, I'm not sure I'm going to stay in Salt Lake forever. So in this paranormal hunting sort of question, it does make me wonder if someday I will move to a town that might be smaller, might be a little more focused on, you know, something weird going on there and um, probably doesn't have great Internet connection is the downside to all of them. (laughs) Pretty much any small town suffers. Yeah, I think they are just last summer. They just started adding fiber lines into the town that my village is a part of. Uh-huh. Uh, but I didn't see them down here, so I don't think they got here yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's crazy what you got to do to get a connection. Like I said, we're up near the border of Canada, so they're mm. like, nope. Just, what I just do for good internet? <laughs> yeah, because I just moved here. I just yeah, just moose. We could maybe like thread the internet cables through like the antlers, like just <gasps> yeah, have them out there carry the lines. Just just yeah, attach the fiber cable to the back of your nearest moose and tell them to run towards the border. Yeah, find Brian something. along the way. 
I moved here from like the Boston-ish area, so I'm used to having much better internet. I think like the cheapest internet package at my last place was like 10 megs down. Oh gosh. And it was like $40 a month. And here we're paying 35 for 1.5 down. It's like Oh wow. Uh, yeah, it's not kind of rough but you are hanging in there and and we appreciate you sticking out as long as you can now i will segue us back to the story in a very not great way except to say look at what happens when technology improves or otherwise so here we are back at our our lock nest stuff rocking you know some old 20 year old tech that they scan the lake with not not the thing that you know didn't do it but now in newer tech it's faster internet hopefully (laughs) haha Uh, we can get some actual Loch Ness stuff. Now, this isn't an isolated incident, though, because two Loch Ness things have been reported in, what, about a two-week time period? It's pretty wild how how much is going on. Did it say that it was the same guy that had the encounter both times, or or did I misread that? Uh, I think it said it was the same guy. Uh, Oh, wait, no, I probably did misread that. I I was a little bit confused when I was reading some things, too. So I pulled up a second one. This okay. one's from July of this year. So keep in mind, this is not the exact one. This is July. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This yeah. is actually July of last summer, by the way. This was linked in the article. So when I clicked it, I, I got something old. But this reports on uh, boat skipper Mike Bell encountering the creature. Um, this would have been June of 2019. Uh, while piloting a group of tourists across Loch Ness, one of the tourists drew Bell's attention to the object uh, just after he'd been finished uh, finished telling them the story of Loch Ness and of the castle. <laughs> uh, Bell said that he circled back to the same spot to take another reading, but the object had vanished, making it unlikely that it was a stationary, inanimate object. So right. I, I see the problem being what you had talked about earlier. Even though we have this newer tech, you still need to have kind of a grid pattern of, of searchers out there. And it sounds right. like... People are hoping again for more grants to come through, more money to be dumped into it, so that they can actually make that. Yeah. You know, they can get those boats uh, chartered and all the, the things they would need to do, get the appropriate gear. And that sounds like a quite a bit of work and a very expensive endeavor at that. Oh yeah, yeah. It would have to be very well coordinated, and uh, it would cost money, and you'd have to get a lot of uh, people who are talented enough yeah. uh, to use that sonar gear to, you know. Uh, pilot a ship, <laughs> etc. So, um, but that being said, I think if there's enough interest in it, and there probably is, it's like one of those timeless, ageless folklore tales. Um, you know, somebody at some point will probably just for the sake of doing it, I think they will, and it'd be interesting. Um, because, like in this video, they said that they were able to determine, or the uh, article. Uh, in the the article, they said that uh, it was a 20-foot or larger creature. They estimate that it was a solid mass and uh, that it was... I guess there are catfish in, the, in Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 feet seems big for a catfish. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fisherman, so... But, you know... Yeah, it's, it's it could, interesting. Could be a Wells catfish. Let's see how big. What? What? What the heck is a? First of all, what? What is a Wells catfish? Because I'm not a catfish aficionado. So, Same. 
Um, a Wells catfish, also called a sheet fish, is a large species mm -hmm. of catfish native to wide areas of central, southern, and eastern Europe. Uh, so, okay, native to that area, it sounds like. What are we looking at for sizes? So for diets, yeah. they live on worms, insects, other things. Larger specimens have been observed to eat things such as frogs, mice, rats, aquatic birds, such as ducks, Jeep. and be cannibalistic. So, oh, geez. Watch uh, out. Yeah, I, did, I had no idea. Oh, here we go. Size. Oh, wow. So with a total length possibly up to five meters or 16 feet, and a length, or I'm sorry, and a weight of up to 300 kilograms or 660 pounds. The Wells Jeez. catfish is by some margin the largest true freshwater fish uh, in its region. Wow. Hmm. That That's is a big. Fish. big. So, um, and I don't know if it's catfish, but uh, certain fish, they just keep growing uh, if they are in a big enough area. So... Imagine if they get to six feet, uh, sorry, 16 feet, uh, you could imagine one getting a little bit bigger. Uh, so that's possible, I think. Um, my question, one of, wow, that's a big fish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my questions is like, if he saw this, why didn't anyone go like closer to it? Or why didn't he like... Is there like a, a patrol, like not a patrol, but like, can you radio in like, yo, I got a big object up here. Is there anyone that can go check it out? It might be Nessie, like, please. Uh, you know, I think somebody would spark interest. I'm just. That is an interesting question. So basically question. saw this thing and was like, eh, it's, it's big. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know enough about. Um admittedly Loch Ness is one of the areas I haven't looked at in a while because it's one of those cases where I, it's not my cryptid if you know what I mean I'm always like okay well cool I'll, I'll keep up with it if someone has an article like this but to, I would imagine so we looked at Champ in Vermont there were quite a few full-time investigators almost standing by sort of is, is the feeling mm. I got um, that they were very much local, very much entwined with the lake, and that they were well, well known as investigators. It, I would yeah. feel like uh, Loch Ness would have similar, especially with its reputation. You, I would think that at least yeah. one person would be running like a, a Loch Ness museum and be like, I got my boat. I'm ready to go out there at any moment. Throw the clothes yeah. sign on the door. Lunch, lunch break. <laughs> I'm yeah. out there on the boat. Yeah, even an enthusiast, and that's a good point, because, like, you know, at a lot of, like, haunted hotels, like the, uh, what is the Estes Park, or the Stanley Hotel. Oh, yeah. Um, they have, like, full-time investigators that they yeah. get paid by the hotel to just live there and respond to paranormal claims. Um, that sounds like a dream, actually. Right? Wouldn't that be a great job? But I would wonder if anything like that is on you know, Loch Ness or, and if not, there has to be some enthusiasts that are kind of like that. You know, those people that have the police scanners or something like something similar to that with like the boat radios and they, you know, they keep an eye out for that type of chatter. Space Unicorn in chat says someone should build a permanent type of probe, a submersible sensor package, run a live stream of the sensor data with its own Patreon to support it. That's a seriously good Found idea. It. Go fund me. Yeah, do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that that honestly that sounds fantastic. Uh, and yeah. I'd be really like it almost surprised me that it's not a thing. 
I, I'm giving someone yeah. out there a great, I don't know if this is a great, I think with something like Loch Ness, it's a great business idea because Loch Ness is established and it's not going anywhere overnight. Uh, I, I think yeah. you could easily do that. If you're an enthusiast in the area, like as long as you have access to the people and the things that could make such a sensor package, I could just be making this up, but it definitely feels like those connections are made around Loch Ness. I, I don't know. It just sounds like there's such a paranormal community that's always looking for it that it wouldn't be too yeah. hard to run across people that have already worked on this stuff. Maybe it is. Yeah, Maybe it's much harder. Is, yeah, and if this is a newer-ish technology, it's it kind of takes a little time for those overlaps to develop uh, of how the technology is used and who yeah. it appeals to. Um, but if it hasn't happened yet, then I think it will. Um, I think Pete, there, there's definitely enough interest that I think it will. Let's hope because I want some more Nessie sort of things. I want to know what's going on with Champ. But I, I will throw out there. Or I guess ask the question then. So if these catfish are getting to 16 feet and we're looking at one here on the screen right now. What is the possibility that that some of these sightings are literally just catfish? Um, because I guess I'm just saying with its long tail, like it does not look mm -hmm. like how I envision Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster to look like. But if you're seeing right. it at a weird angle and it is large, I mean, this is the same color of what they suspect Let Nessie to look like a lot. It's that murky yeah. brownish gray color, slate-ish, if you will. It's just not that memorable, mm -hmm. if you will. So, like, if you saw this thing, like, poke out of the water and right. looking at its tail, Brian, I don't know if they really bend them that way ever. But, you know, we always think of Nessie with, like, the, the humpback sort of thing. If that right. catfish just bends its tail out of the water, is that going to look like a big thing? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, because I'm like looking at it. Yeah, and, eh, give or take. I think yeah, I think a lot of people now. This is assuming that the Loch Ness monster is real. I think a lot of people probably would mistake it uh, for would mistake other things for that, especially like big fish or like you know just. Things that you can't explain, especially if you're not like uh, this guy who spotted it was a 30 year veteran uh, boater. If you're not like uh, a veteran, you know, of the water, any kind of strange abnormality that you haven't seen before is going to freak you out a little bit, um, you know, being out in the water and stuff like that, maybe. Um, so I can see how, you know, psychologically, you know, maybe we psych ourselves up. Um, mistakes happen, uh, but at the same time, uh, like that one picture that really shows, yeah. like, I think it's like that black and white picture, oh, and it, you know, the one everyone thinks of when they uh, see yes. Nessie. I'll pull that. I don't think that's a catfish. <laughs> no, um, I don't think so either. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. No, it's the, really the famous Nessie one, yeah, it, but at the same time, I mean, that, it just fascinates me. There's for chat the famous Nessie picture. It's fascinating because of how, mm, I guess, unremarkable this photo is. Like, I love it, don't get me wrong, but it's also, yeah. you know, all, all we have is this very vague shape in here, and in fact, it's very silhouetted. So... Yes. I don't know. I it's It's very hard for me to make heads or tail of it. Like, this is where I question. I don't think it's a catfish, but 
if we look at the catfish's tail in that previous picture, could this could this Nessie pick just be a tail flipping out of the water where we see a where we want I to guess, see a yeah. dinosaur's head? Could that just be like fins? Just like yeah. the tail fins? Because now I'm starting yeah, to see it as I look at it. Right. Yeah. Same. It's been a while since I've looked at this picture. And, um, you know, one of my theories is like it would be easy ish to fake this picture because you're right. It does look very silhouetted. Uh, meaning you could just take a shape like a cutout and put it over the photograph while it's being developed uh, and you would get that black spot there. Um, like, you know, if you're familiar with developing photographs sure, yeah. um, with the chemicals and stuff like that. So I also saw in the article they had talked about uh, the w was the one person that actually saw this. Was that the same person that dug out the um, the prop? I might have pulled that from a different article. Uh, but I, one of the ones I read about Loch Ness in the last this weekend mentioned that one of the people reporting it had also been one of the people to help find a prop from a previous film left behind there. So, oh yeah, and I think I think what they were saying is that they used this sonar technology, and that's how they found that prop. Yep. Um, and I think they said something that it was different, like it looked different on the thing. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't really recall, but I do remember them saying something about digging up a prop from like a Loch Ness movie that they made. Yeah, here we go. Uh, it sounds hilarious, honestly. Says sonar expert Craig Wallace, a marine robotic senior uh, application specialist with Kongsberg Maritime AS whatever that is, who has surveyed Loch Ness half a dozen times and four years ago discovered the lost model of Nessie used in the 1970 film, quote, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, has described the image as the very curious. <laughs> yeah, The Private Life of Nessie. There you go. Uh, he described, described it as very curious. So he is the guy, this other guy discovered, the other guy looked at our newer report, said that does look weird, and this was the one that found the previous prop. So it, I guess tricky, though, the whole thing is a bit tricky knowing that there are some props thrown in there as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, it's just and you can imagine I don't want to say everyone's going out there and doing amateur props and stuff like that, like trying to mess with it. But let's be it's honest. Yeah, we know some people have just chucked stuff in there <laughs> and been like, well, right. they'll they'll think this is nasty because that's how people work. <laughs> and that seems like, I'm curious, did the film crew lose this prop in there, or did they just leave it behind? I don't really know exactly the story of that, but kind of weird. Right. Yeah, that is weird. I would love to know the story of how that prop came to rest in Loch Ness. Same. <laughs> same, same, same. I'd also like to see a sitcom about the private life of Nessie, like a weekly one or something. I would dig it. I, I Anything yeah. anything with Nessie, bring it my way. I definitely do want to know about it. Uh, I think this is maybe the other, was this the one I had looked at? That uh, Singular 14 had also had another one on there. Um, this one was from October 9th of the same year, 2020. It says, cruise director captures, quote, eye-catching sonar images of uh, objects in Loch Ness. So this was a different one, or is this the same one and reported on more? Or did I just click on the same link and thought it was a different one at this point? Oh, I might have. Did I re-click on our one? I'm sorry, I was following through some of their other links. <laughs> I think I just got myself redirected back. That's all fair. Um, 
I need to go dig it up and I'll try and do it for the next episode. There was an additional link I had pulled up for my private like research on the side. Didn't bookmark it because I didn't really know the site as well. Um, yeah. But they had reported more on this. So we'll, we'll get you guys some more updates as time goes on on Nessie. Uh, as for now, though, Brian, I think in just a few minutes, it'll be time for us to take another break for the day. Coming up on uh, the 1130 Mountain Time slot here. Good morning, Mateo. Welcome to the stream. Glad to have you guys here today. If you would like, please, if you're out there joining us, tune in. Check out our Twitter accounts. Brian and I have posts out there that could definitely use some love about the morning show. If you guys want to go like, retweet and share that with your friends. As well as go check out the brand new website, you guys. Pagan and I put a lot of work into this over the past couple days. We now have a membership area up there and everything. We've got the shop up there. Go check it out. We've got the Revelator Morning Show under the podcast section. From there, you can go follow Brian, myself, Pagan, all of our fun. It's all linked together nicely so you guys can grab it. Also, Brian... We should be, uh, let's drop another little teaser that this Friday, we have the crew from Small Town Monsters coming on the show. And that is the production company group that makes a bunch of documentaries that we've enjoyed. The Mothman Legacy was their latest to come out. They got the Mark of the Bell Witch coming out on December 15th. They did the the, the one on Champ uh, up there. The, oh, what's it called? Yep. On the Trail of Champ, I believe is the name. So yeah, I think that's it. Really, really cool stuff. They've got one on Amazon as well about on the trail yeah. of UFOs. So there's a little something for everyone. Yeah, they have really good stuff. And uh, they do this documentary that we're going to talk about when we come back from our break about the Mothman. And uh, I just watched it this morning so uh, I could talk about it with you guys. And uh, Kyle watched it as well. I did. It's very interesting. Really well made. It kind of picks up where the other Mothman leaves off. And uh, I feel overall these guys, uh, these small town monsters guys, they're awesome because they're not just rehashing stories that everyone knows and everyone's heard. They're either expanding on those stories or they're putting out something new. And it's like, it's just really cool to keep up with, uh, you know, some of their stuff. And I didn't realize they had done so many documentaries until we started talking about this Mothman one a few weeks ago. Um, so definitely check out Small Town Monsters. And like Kyle said, they'll be on the show on Friday. I think Kyle and yeah. Pagan will be interviewing those guys. So <laughs> I'll be in the chat <laughs> hanging out so I can uh get more info but uh yeah these guys do some great work yes please 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 if you guys have any questions let us know too to pass along if you guys have watched any of their documentaries i'm sure they'll be happy um you can see up on their website that i'm showing on screen they have the mark of the bell witch up there for pre-order uh some of their productions though uh like like you said I, my thing ryan i was watching a lot of small town monsters when pagan and i started this without really recognizing who they were at the time uh, so, you know, over yeah. the years, I've kind of like watched a thing or two and just didn't realize. So, like, they cover the Boggy Creek monster. Again, not super known to, to those outside of cryptid yeah. circles. Uh, Beast of Whitehall. I don't know that one off the top of my head either. They have it on the trail of Bigfoot. Uh, they got all kinds of stuff. A Terror in the Skies one. I don't think I've seen this, but that definitely looks like a Mothman. Yeah. They've got a couple Mothman, Brian. I'm going to have to go in there and binge. Wait, this one's the... Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. They got like a three-part series going on. They have one called The Mothman of Point Pleasant, The Mothman Legacy, which we watched, and then they have Terror in the Skies. 
Oh, cool. Gosh, I'm digging this. Okay, I'm going to be binging more Small Town Monsters all week. So I recommend you guys do too. That way you can come to Friday's show with some extra questions in mind. I'm sure they'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, Brian. Greetings from Vermont. What is that? It says greetings from uh, Vermont on your screen. So I was just saying greetings from Vermont from me. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, you can grab yourself a whole postcard. I do like this art, by the way, quite a bit. They've got a really cute design going there. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. So chat, five minutes. Let's take our break here. We'll come back. We're going to be talking Mothman. We're going to be concluding the episode on that note. It's going to be good. So we will catch you guys in five minutes. Chat soon. All right. Hello, everybody. We return. Okay, Brian, we are back. Are you ready to talk right. Mothman again? Always. <laughs> Literally. If there's one cryptid I could always talk about, it is Mothman. So we're going to talk to you guys a little yeah. bit about that documentary. We kind of queued this up a little towards the start of the show today. So for anyone that got here for the first hour, um, Brian and I were just talking about how we both watched the Mothman Legacy um, documentary put out by Small Town Monsters. They'll be on the show this Friday to chat about that. That came out just right before Halloween, I think it was, like a day or two before. Really good doc. So you just watched it this morning. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Do you want to give us a little bit of a lowdown That's on your thoughts on it? Sure. Uh, so, um, yeah. So for to give kind of an overview so it's the mothman legacy and uh it was released just last month and uh so most of you guys are probably familiar with the original mothman documentary and uh incident which centered around uh point pleasant west virginia during the 1966 and 1967 uh surrounding the collapse of the silver bridge yeah silver yes. bridge and um, so this documentary, it recaps a lot of that information uh, and then it but it goes on to say that um, a lot of people thought that that was the end of Mothman. But uh, people actually went on to continue reporting, seeing the Mothman consistently uh, up through the 1990s. And then there was kind of, I guess, a little bit of a lull in appearances and then starting in the early 2000s, it's just been a lot of Mothman sightings by people in that same area. So basically what this documentary is saying is that that was just kind of when we started noticing Mothman. He didn't exactly go away after. And the film, uh, lastly, it touches on a lot of really interesting uh, history uh, about like West Virginia, about how it was settled by uh, Scottish and Irish immigrants and uh, how kind of it was the reason for the start of the French and Indian War. It was just packed with interesting history, which like I love. I was I was absorbing it like a sponge. Um so yeah, that's kind of what the video is about. And um like I said earlier, there's great cinematography. It looks fantastic. So I enjoyed it. 
What about what do you think about it, Kyle? I so so far part of this problem is that I didn't recognize that they had a backlog of Mothman stuff that now I know I get to catch up on. Like I, I knew they had a ton. I didn't know they had two more. Because yeah. one of the things, Brian, I feel like I might have done myself a disservice, and I'll come right out and say it that they refer to um, the Mothman Legacy as their follow up to or sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant that they had before. So right. I want to go in and watch the predecessor one to just see how that builds uh i got oh, that a, was one by them yeah yeah so they have oh, others okay. they have uh two oh, more cool. mothman docs so wow. what we appreciated the other day is only a third of the story that they've told so far so i'm like oh crap now i have extra homework to get yeah. into i'm excited uh same I, here <laughs> i did Fun really homework, like this because it it does shift up a lot of the more traditional mothman story that you hear again well, yeah. for those that don't know, so John Keel brought the Mothman story to mainstream back, like you said, you know, 60s, 70s, I believe it was the 60s the events happened. I think it was 10 years later in the 70s that he actually gets around yeah. to doing the Mothman Prophecies book, which yeah. Keel was a investigative journalist. So he would go around and report on events of high strangeness. And they would get published in all kinds of magazines uh, of, again, high strangeness, things that are covering UFOs or cryptids would pick this stuff up. And so a lot of his books are culminations of writings that he had done for these journals and things like that. He's had a lot of stuff published uh, post his death by a good friend of his Mm that actually really met them, like met Keel. They they chatted. They really got to know each other well. I can't think of the guy's name, but he goes on now to publish a lot of Keel's more unknown works. So for anyone that wants to get mm-hmm. into the Mothman stuff, definitely recommend checking out the Mothman Prophecies book. Um, the film uh, yeah. is fun. And actually, after watching this, Brian, I do want to go back and rewatch it just because in yeah. this Mothman document or the Mothman Legacy film, they actually talked to the screenwriter of the yeah. Hollywood film, which I thought was really, really cool. And it was interesting Same, yeah. that he got into Mothman for similar reasons I did. He liked that it was beyond <laughs> the norms of storytelling. It's an event that breaks free of just UFOs or just traditional sightings. It's not even it's not even yeah. necessarily like a scare like the moth a quote I took away from him that I loved was when people tell me they're scared about the Mothman, they don't know why. And I was like, Ooh, that's yeah. creepy. Cause that's how I feel too. Yes. On its own. It's just yeah. a monster with red eyes. Like it's nothing that special. Like we hear about that right. all the time in demon cases. So for it to yeah. be scary seems bizarre. And that's kind of what the film lends itself to is like, is yeah, this story kept alive suspense. out of here? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people in Hollywood, they're sick of the jump scares and stuff. I I feel like uh, and I haven't seen this, but my opinion would be that it would be more of a psychological thriller more than anything. And I really love uh, movies like that. And uh, one of the things that I really liked when they were interviewing uh, the director for this movie is he said that John Keel, the guy who wrote the uh, Mothman Prophecy books back in the 70s, um, up until then, he really didn't like talking about the Mothman. But he said that, I guess, when he read the screenplay for this 2002 Hollywood movie, Mm -hmm. uh, he became giddy because he felt like 
he had been trying to convey these feelings of dread uh, to people and he just wasn't able to get it across the way he wanted to. But he was actually very excited for a Hollywood movie to come out about it because um, I guess they really did a good job of portraying that overall kind of permeating darkness and that feeling of, of you know, mm-hmm. just right and uh so i want to go back and watch it again now that i know that it has the blessing of the original mothman guy you know that's yeah. kind of a good thing going for it i'm glad we learned that because you and i talked a couple weeks back and we're like we don't know how this film's gonna hold up now did you watch the 2002 <laughs> yeah. hollywood one recently because you bought it the first time around right mm-hmm. Nope, I have it on my computer still, and I was going to, but I have not watched it yet. I, I could, and actually, yeah, I think I should, too. <laughs> you should, because I, after, the same thing, after I heard them say, like, oh, no, this is actually, so the screenwriter on there says, the first of all, the film was received very poorly, is what he says, and I'm like, oh, my God, my, 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 I don't know what age I was, 12, 12? Ooh, I, no, not even, 2002? Was I 10 years? I oh, gosh. I was only born in 91. So I was, yeah, we were 11 and 13 years old, respectively, or something. So yeah. my 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 10-year-old-ish heart breaks when I hear that no one watched it. To me back then, you know, 10 years old, you don't know how well Hollywood's being received the box office. I didn't care. So seeing yeah. that film back then, it was it was very creepy. I definitely, it stuck, I mean, it stuck with me for years. As a guy that grew up, four hours outside of Point Pleasant, basically. I often had that weird sense of dread just in general. Like, eh, I don't know. We live, you know, backwoods of Pennsylvania, backwoods of West Virginia. It's, it's. There's an energy there. There is a weird it's, energy. It's a, it's a weird, sad energy kind of almost. It it's spooky, but it's sad. I don't know how to describe it. I love it here. I live. But uh, yeah, one of the things about this movie is the cinematography. It really captures that. It's very like misty and like mysterious. And um, yeah, Appalachia, including Pennsylvania, where you, you're talking about you grew up. It's very there's an energy here. It's uh, and actually one thing uh, I'm sorry to like interrupt your kind of thought train there. Uh, one more thing I did want to say, and I wish that they had said this in the documentary is that uh, the entire east coast of the united states uh if you go back to pangea when all the continents were one continent um the east coast of the united states actually fits like a puzzle piece to the west coast of africa and that's why the geography here is so different uh you see different types of trees, different types of rocks. Uh, There's a lot of granite here on the East coast, which is also true of the West coast of Africa. Um, So, and, and this is proven science. I'm not just saying this, that because it's what I think Uh, it's, it's pretty much proven that the United States, you know, used to be part of Africa and it split. And so the East coast of the United States uh, the Appalachian Mountains are where that convergence point oh, is. So there's sure. there's energy that's yeah on those tectonic plates, and um, it's something I've always noticed here. We have the creepy, weird trees. I mean, you know, yeah. New England is a weird place. The it East really Coast is. is strange. 
It really is. And that's something that's interesting. Again, you know, we're trying to save a little bit of this for the documentary so you guys can go check it out on your own. But in there, we we, we teased off the top that uh, they do talk about the Native Americans not settling the region. They thought West Virginia was pretty cursed or haunted. It wasn't a good spot to go. They would go through hunting. But that was about it. So, I mean, it it brings up some other questions now that you say that. But uh, Africa has, depending on your region of Africa, has some really dark and kind of, I guess just we'll just say, let's be honest, they have very dark, creepy, malevolent-ish entities in a lot of their lore. Like there, a lot yeah. of creation lore that comes out of that area also tends to be a lot darker. It's a lot meaner, yes. if you will, and and so it again a lot of African beliefs that made their way over this way through the slave trade uh, turned into. I think I, I think that obviously made them much darker, even on their own, right? Because you've got what started yeah. off as this kind of dark. A uh, jungly sort of religion that focuses on things that you don't know because I mean there's a lot you don't know in a jungle it's dense it's hard to see so a lot of it is this primal oh, energies yeah. then it bring comes over here and it like intertwines with Christianity in some parts and in other parts yes. it just it really like hides away even more from it and just again turns this like really darker vibe so I'm questioning now if we t- take a look at like the cryptidy sort of things that may have even came over from that depending on what we're we're thinking there uh interesting to right. see that some of those some of those like more primal energies may even be the exact same ones just because that's, of where it's split that's exactly what i think and that's a perfect way to describe it, it there's this primal energy here and it's just strange it's like it's it's like a culmination of different energy and folklore and you can see it and you can feel it when you're here. Uh, New England especially has just this feeling of, you can tell when you enter it, like, you know, I've taken a lot of road trips and like, once you kind of get deep into it, it, it kind of sneaks up on you. And, uh, I I've lived here all my life pretty much, but, um, it's one of the things that I love about New England and it makes it feel like home to me is just, Everything here is just spooky, <laughs> and it's a good thing to me. I love it. So. I I, lo- I love it and live for it too. In the same way, um, I guess I will add, uh, like on on top of that, I am trying to even think how to approach this. But when when we talk about the Mothman kind of plaguing that area, one thing that we always say we we say that West Virginia had it. They do mention uh, Ohio as being an area of Mothman activity. And I wonder then if we go back to what we said earlier about it being more of a flesh and blood cryptid by chance, not something that's inadvertently phasing in and out of realities or planes of existence or even perception. Um, If it is a flesh and blood creature, I wonder how that would change some of that aspect too. Like, hmm. The Mothman and Jersey Devil are even something that you can lightly relate together. There's yep. talk. Yeah, that's true. There's talk of Thunderbirds in that documentary, um, yes. which Pagan and I found. I, I think in the doc, one of the people they interview says that we don't have Thunderbirds out east, but Pagan and I found that to be untrue. Yay. There are Thunderbirds <laughs> reported in um, northern, like Maine, Vermont area. Specifically, Maine has the Pamula. Uh, 
So I think they call them something different. Yeah, that's what it is. It's and um, there, I guess, the idea of a flying bird has existed in these spots. So I don't right. know. And um, one thing also it mentions is it compares it to a uh, creature in Hindu mythology, which is like a hybrid between an eagle and a man. <laughs> and uh, one thing they mentioned in this documentary that I found interesting is that the Mothman was originally called the Birdman, yeah. and he was described as being more bird-like in nature. But then as more reports started coming forward, they kind of got different – people were describing different properties – um, so it could be uh, people's imagination, uh, you know, distorting it or, you know, who knows what's there are a lot of folklore things like the Thunderbird and uh, this Eagle Man. I forget uh, what it's called, but um, there's a lot of potential uh, links to folklore. And then there's also the theory that it's the it, the Sandhill Crane, which is like. Uh, six or I think it's a six foot tall crane with giant red circles around its eyes, which like, you know, if you're shining a flashlight into its face at night, it might look like it had glowing eyes or, you know, there's like so many possibilities from like, it's just a bird to it's an alien or like, you know, who knows? And I think all of these theories are really equally valid because the way people present them, it's like, yeah, that could be possible, you know? Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, I think the bird. I think it's the Garuda you're looking for is the word because Garuda. Yes, he, John yep. Keel goes to. He he went to wanted to call the Mothman prophecies the year of the Garuda, but the publisher shot him down. So that has stuck in my mind. That's right. Um, fear, fear, fear is something that Keel talks about. If you guys, again, I, I recommend you get around to reading that book. It's it's really, if you like High Strangeness, you're going to be addicted to it, chat, because it's just mm. one of those ones that keel bounces from thing to thing. And and I feel like he may, if there is a real Indiana Jones, I like to think that Keel and Mary Hire <laughs> were like the the real Indiana Jones, because there is a <laughs> chapter in the book that Keel describes this. We talk about primal energies. He describes... Yeah. A, a chunk of road that when driven through, mm. he just was, was struck with intense fear. And so what does Keel do? Like the real Indiana Jones, he is. He keeps going back and forth and mapping the zone. He's like, when I step this far forward, I get terrified. If I step a couple feet back, the fear immediately ebbs. So he like is this guy, I'm just imagining him out in the road, like stepping forward, stepping back. Like he's not afraid of, you know, this crazy encounter. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, I'm I'm going to keep going after this until I I get it. So I, I definitely recommend. And the sad thing about the actual Mothman story being that Mary Hire passes away not long after the Silver Bridge collapses, which effectively mm. ends Keel's communication with the area because she was his eyes and ears in the ground right. when he was away. She was a local reporter and, and journalist that was covering UFO reports as well. So she passed away, right. I want to say, within one year of the Silver Bridge collapse. Uh, they even say the small town starts to suffer at that point, which makes sense. You got a small town. They say a lot of the, the, the main street businesses close. If you have a tragedy the yeah. size that they said, that means that a lot of those shopkeepers, loved ones, and maybe even the shopkeepers themselves, unfortunately, passed in the accident. So um, it's a, I think. Yeah, go ahead. 
Sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. The way I interpreted that is uh, I think what they were saying is that the Gallipolis, Ohio, which was on the other side of the bridge, was a big source of business. for. Oh, them. so I they're saying that the town died out that way. Hmm. That's kind of how I took it. Yeah. But it, I mean, you're probably right. Well, with what you said too. I, I yeah, the way I look at it, and, and you could be really on to it there. That that could be it. That the the, the 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 town next door was so much. But I, I mm, that that makes sense. But it also seems kind of to me a little. I don't want to say far fetched, but like, does your town really close because the bridge to the neighboring spot breaks with the full intent of it <laughs> yeah. being recreated? Like, I just don't right. know. That seems like a in oh, a, yeah, in, a in the sixties. Yeah, and, and again, yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, I don't know. No, you. I no, imagined, I, I imagine that I it closed that. down a bit whenever they yeah. had. Um, well, you figure a, a big event like that hitting a small town of a couple thousand people or yeah. whatever Point Pleasant had, how many shockwaves that sends mm. through? Because a lot of people died in the, the, the bridge disaster. And. It just, it yeah. feels like a lot of the town really got caught up in it. But one of the things that I was also thinking is, and I don't know when this really hit America, but what time did small towns start really shuttering and closing their shops? Because it, it may have inadvertently happened mm. around the same time. Um, yeah. But I'm happy to see that the Mothman itself brings so much life to Point Pleasant. They, they talk about the festival that goes on there, which I so want to go to yeah. one of these days. A lot. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing because actually, yeah, the numbers they were saying. So there's a Mothman festival every year in Point Pleasant. And they were saying the town has like 5,000 ish people in there, but every year, eight to nine to 10,000 people show up for the Mothman yeah. festival. So, you know, paratourism, it's like, you know, there's a silver lining on all these things because it's like, yeah, a lot of people died in the bridge accident uh, but now this place has you know uh you know the destruction is a form of creation type of deal where out of this wreckage something new became of it and it's like it's it's sad to think about but at the same time it gives you that little glimmer of hope that you know behind any tragedy there's still hope and uh things can get better I think so. Now, interesting history that I, I just uh, I didn't really retain in my brain ever. So the bridge was reconstructed in less than two years later. So just just again, right. when it comes to that, like, idea that they got totally cut off, I, I would be interested. That's a thing I guess you'd have to chat with, like, actual local residents and 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 find that yeah. sort of history out. Because it's a good question. You know, did did that really set them back that far? Again, this was in the 60s, well, not the 1860s, yeah. so it wasn't like you had to... I mean, we have heavy construction cranes, say. and we can make skyscrapers by this point. So it's not, you know, the tech um, level's there to rebuild. I, I'd be super curious. I want to know. But the sad thing, like I said, the tragedy with all the losses is pretty freaking rough on a small town like that. Yeah. That's true, but one thing, uh, West Virginia is pretty rural. There mm-hmm. actually aren't a whole lot of businesses there, I guess. Um, I've driven through it once. Uh, there was nothing there. No, it's, um, yeah, unless so you go look in it. Yeah, possibly there was like they were relying on that business from Ohio. Um, I don't know. Uh, it could have been like, uh, for example, I live in Vermont and right across the border in New Hampshire, they don't charge sales tax. 
So like a lot of these tiny towns in New Hampshire that would never have any business for any reason, uh, they'll put up like a Walmart or uh, even some gift shops or something like that. And people will do their, they'll go across the border to do that shopping because they don't have to yeah. pay the sales tax or whatever. So uh, who knows? But um, yeah, and it, it could be a combination of both things. I mean, you got to imagine if there was a main street, some of those businesses would have closed because you know the person died uh and so 46 people out of that small town of less than five thousand people died um i i i don't know Mm -hmm. i think to some people that number might sound really small but that's actually a really large percentage it's about one in a hundred yeah it's about it's about one percent of the town and when you have a really tiny town like that that one percent matters right like you go to a big city and i hate to be rude but like 46 people leave the city every day just of you know moving but when you live in a small town in west virginia that not much changes ever and not a lot of people move in or leave that's one thing i noticed when i was in pa all those years is like you know the people you're living next to tend to have been there for like generations yeah, so, everyone knows each other, too. Um, you know, you go to the store, you see the same guys there every day, uh, stuff like that. I've lived in small towns in New Hampshire and Vermont my whole life, and that's very much what it's like you notice. And, uh, you know, you may have never talked to somebody, but they do know who you are. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so I can see the impact there. Like, I grew up in a town of 2,000 people, and... Um, yeah. Yeah. Word travels fast in those small towns for sure. I agree. I want to say the town I grew up in was is like it's listed on Wikipedia as having 10,000 people, but I, I don't believe it. I don't I first of all just don't believe it straight up. But, but secondly, then I wonder like how how big what other regions are they trying to chuck in there in some of those maps cuz what I grew up like what we're showing right now on screen is a 2019 of of uh, Point Pleasant there in the the bridge. Where I lived didn't have waterways like that, but boy, were we a teeny weeny. Like, we were like one of, like, my my town's like one of these. Uh, here, oh, chat, this is like yeah. where I grew So you see this town right there in the background, chat, this tiny little, I grew up in this, but there was none of this for miles. You'd have to drive 30 minutes to yeah. encounter that. Otherwise, it's just That's... you and these little blips that would pop up like every couple, like, you had these every once in a while, but they, yeah, they were very small. Those yeah, areas that's are crazy. Like where I live now. It's like 20 minutes to the grocery store. Yeah. Um, yeah. The town that I grew up in, in the town center, it had a church, and across from the church was a gas station oh, where you could like get snacks, and that was it. <laughs> there was like a four-way crossroads, and that was it. Uh, the a little cafe opened there at one point that closed down, but it's like nothing out there. <laughs> that is a serious mood um I, it's a great life though you see a lot more animals maybe more bigfoots out here <laughs> what is an interest that's why i kind of to- toy around with the idea that someday i might actually move back to the the, the east coast and kind of you know especially depending yeah. on what goes on with this business i'd love 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 to get into um i don't know i guess just more kind of cryptid hunting and all that and i think a small town yeah. to me would be really fun to go out there especially just yeah. being more local to those places uh mm. because i well, love it out here 
Yeah, I, I I miss that a little out west. I, I I'm sure I know that there's yeah. things that you can find anywhere you are. Any state has their oddities. I mean, good lord, we have Skinwalker Ranch not far away. But at the same time, yeah. <laughs> I feel like to me there's a big difference between you having just like easy access to your woods out there to just go and be like exploring. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to do that all the time. There were trails all around me. Um, you could just like walk. I used to live at the end of a dirt road and um, like we'd walk across this bridge and uh, there were a couple like wooded trails. But if you drove like 10 minutes down any of the like routes that you would go down to get to um, like the grocery store or whatever, there'd be like hiking area, camping area, la, 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 but nowhere to buy food or anything, but like tons of nature stuff. True. Um, and uh, I actually have a friend that I went to high school with in Southern New Hampshire uh, who thinks they had a Sasquatch encounter. So it's like um, cryptids are a big thing out here, especially in these rural areas. And I'm like right in the middle of the Appalachian mountains, the white mountains of New Hampshire. Um, I used to hike on the Appalachian trail when I was a teenager all the time, not like the whole thing, but um, they have trails that are part of the trail. And uh, like I used to hike Mount Monadnock uh, a lot as a kid, oh, wow. uh, which is part of the Appalachian Trail. And um, yeah, lots of um, reports in that area. Uh, a lot of Native American folklore in the area out here as well. Um, New England's a great place. If you love spook and you love cryptids and even uh, actually, I live about 30 minutes down the road from where the Betty and Barney Hill uh, abduction took Do place. You? Uh, yeah, there's a marker for it uh, in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. It's uh, it's about 25 minutes down the road, I think, um, like right before you get on the highway. We used to live a little closer to it, but we're over the border now in Vermont. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting area from a folklore perspective. There's just a lot of really old, weird folklore out here. That's what I love about it. Now, you know, you, you say something there that really triggers another memory, which is that the Mothman stuff happened in the 60s. Man, the 60s were mm. a crazy time for, <laughs> for these stories because Betty and yeah. Barney Hill happened in 61, yep. I want to say. And then I think Exeter incident happens, what, 30-ish minutes away from that even. And it happens in 65, I want to say. And then there's Mm -hmm. the Berkshire UFO thing that I want to say happens in like 67 or 9. It's right in that region as well. Um, The 60s and UFO encounters are just crazy. Yeah, it is. And uh, were any of those in the Bridgewater or the Bennington Triangle areas? I can't remember. Uh, the ones I mentioned are all in your neck of the woods. Because uh, Berkshire's Massachusetts, yeah. and I want to say right. Exeter and, and the oh. Hills are both New Hampshire, yeah, technically. And then yeah, so I don't think so. They reported at the time of the Mothman stuff that there were lights and crafts overhead so that that's where this story of the mothman gets into an area of high strangeness is people reporting seeing ufos overhead they're reporting seeing this big thing chasing uh kids through the town in 
the 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 keel uh, mothman prophecies book talks about how there were avid ufo hunters going out there all the time and i want to say he actually yes. goes on to say that there were lights that you could pretty reliably see happen so there were like increase like yeah. fairly regular high strangeness going on so when right. we when we talk about like i i don't know that they have a formal famous one but that i remember one of the first things brian that gave me chills about that case i, I want to say i heard about it on like again a discovery channel thing way back probably over a decade ago but hearing like that there were ufos in the sky men in black coming telling people not to investigate these right. things not to believe your eyes and then there was a mothman yeah. man on top of it. That's where my brain at the mm -hmm. time was like, I cannot see that yeah. as a traditional cryptid because of the weirdness that goes with it. Like I had to crane my brain to kind of see it. Now, maybe the yeah. mothman's just an alien coming off of the ship, Brian. I don't know. That's yeah, that's a lot. I've heard a lot of people theorize that and that. To me, the the UFO sightings and the Men in Black sightings in conjunction with the Mothman sightings are really strange. And it's like, in my opinion, a lot of these phenomena can be related. Like uh, a lot of folklore crosses over. Like, you know, we've talked about how fairy folklore is very similar to UFO abduction folklore. Yes. Um, and stuff like that. So um, there's definitely some crossover areas. And uh, I think one of the things they mentioned in this documentary as well is that uh, a lot of people would see the Mothman. And when they saw him, the distinguishing features were that it's tall, shadowy, yep. has red eyes. And someone just, some of them described it as shrieking, like a pterodactyl kind of, like yeah. a noise you would and they compared that to the uh, the banshee of uh, Celtic folklore, how the banshee comes as an omen of death and it shrieks and it has glowing red eyes. So it's like, you know, it, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's like it's interesting how many similarities there are, uh, especially in the death omen uh, aspect I definitely think so. I think that's what gets me like uh, sitting, here, sitting here struggling to put it into words because I feel like I'm just repeating myself. But to say Same. what gets me, Brian, is how when when you start looking at the Mothman case, I understand that people's stories are going to kind of, you know, be a little varied here and there what they saw. But even in this just one documentary, we heard all kinds of different things from a man saying he saw like it materialized in the room and like walk through his room, but it didn't, it wasn't like the traditional Mothman in that sense. It almost got more towards that like Banshee lore of, you know, announcing a dead person. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. why I think that case gets very, very interesting um, is that people mm. talk about how like they go and they're digging into the lore and as soon as they get close to figuring out what it is, it feels like it gets less objective and becomes more subjective. So, like, people yeah. just start seeing things that drive more and more and it just it changes and and that's what keel talks about is, is anytime he tried to like put his finger on what this mothman thing was it would just kind of elude him or it would shift forms um yeah that's really wild yeah and uh, i honestly it's got to be hard after experiencing something that you know your mind just up until this point just couldn't fathom mm -hmm. to try and put that into words to people that's got to be difficult um 
you know, like if I saw something weird, uh, I would probably try and like use a metaphor or like, I don't know. Um, so I definitely get, you know, where that comes from. And, um, possibly also that could be why there's so many different theories to try and explain it. Like it's the, uh, Thunderbird or this or that, uh, it's an alien, whatever it's because, you know, people are just not sure what to make of it. It is a weird one. I, I am not sure. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I all, all I know is putting together the pieces of this story tend to get really really wild and i would love to go i don't know that this documentary implies that point pleasant still has a lot of activity going on down there but what we see you know off the singular 14 is that some of this stuff may have moved to uh chicago o'hare sort of stuff so if you're Mm -hmm. someone out there trying to find the mothman i'm not exactly sure where you go like do you do you go down to Point Pleasant? Do you go to Chicago? Like, where does one, where does a Mothman hunter begin their investigation in 2020? That is my question. Yeah, I would say both. Both would probably be good. And um, yeah, I'm curious because I now I want to know where else he's been seen. Because another thing they mentioned in the documentary is like in the Hollywood film, they mm-hmm. show clips of the Mothman flying around like Chernobyl and stuff like that. Right. And then he was like, and then after the movie came out, I had people that kept trying to tell me that the people there would see the Mothman, but it's like not true. So like, as far as I know, now I'm only considering credible sightings to be these two places so far, because honestly, like, you know, I've never really looked into that, but I have heard like, oh, the Mothman was at 9-11 as well, stuff like that that I never really looked into because I was just like, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, but now it's like, I kind of want to take that all with a grain of salt and, you know, thanks again, Hollywood for shining this light on a, a dark subject area that wouldn't otherwise get much attention. But then it's like, you got to pick through all of these urban legendy types of, you know, misconceptions that they throw in there. So, yeah, it's it's very I want to know more um, because when uh, Chernobyl disaster, what was the date on that? Se- seven, six, eighties. That was the eighties. So about 20 ish years after the 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 silver bridge collapsed, you know, that that's when apparently this was going on. Uh, I would yeah. I want to dive into the reports on that. See if there's any reality to it because i i'm just not not um it's hard to say there's an interesting theory that's popped up to me i want to say the alan greenfield for those that are out there in the the philemic circles and stuff like that and watch hellier you'll know alan greenfield and in one of his he i believe recites a story of a case in Oh, kind of in your neck of the woods, Brian. It, it's somewhere in your like state area, may, maybe a little further south towards like New Jersey. But he goes on to say how there was a real, no, I'm sorry, a fake UFO sighting that was reported to the police by a, a an associate of his, like a friend, an acquaintance. And that fake report actually then generated a bunch of, quote, authentic reports. And, and what yeah. he got into with this like little, quip was the idea that maybe a 
maybe maybe a fake sighting can put that thought into people's mind to the extent that they actually start materializing stuff to see. Right. Because they've yeah, like themselves theory, Yeah, that's the theory that I have heard as well in a few different forms, either that it creates the en- entity or that energy manifests itself or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, I've definitely heard stuff like that. And actually there was an episode of, uh, the TV show supernatural, uh, where, (laughs) where they, uh, some guys online. And this is funny to me because of the writing that I do for my ghost website, where basically some guys on a website had found this completely made up ghost story and they started to believe it. And so a ghost was there and the guys from supernatural, they like go to investigate it, but the story is changing so rapidly. It'd be like, you have to honk your horn three times. And in order to kill it, you have to like spin in a circle and then throw like sand at it. And they did that and nothing happened. And they were like, crap. And they go back to the website and they're like, ah, the story changed. And like all this stuff, it's just, it's funny because it is kind of a theory that people have accepted over the years that is possible. And I think, you know, there is certain, you know, weight to be put on the human subconscious and what we're capable of and stuff like that. But that was just kind of a funny example. I love that example. Uh, Blip and Chat says Slender Man's a great example of that as well. Yeah, uh, hey, yeah. Slender Man, perfect one, right? People bringing, the, the idea of them bringing it into reality has resulted in at least one death. I mean, someone yes. you know, took it to the extreme, their belief in it. Uh, so there, there's definitely, you know, that, that connection aspect uh, there that it, it somehow can... I guess the thought form of it, you know, really, really can influence people to make fatal choices. Now, one of my favorites that investigators will say that I'm only getting into nowadays is the idea of it. Yeah, if you see something that's overly Hollywood in the skies, like if it looks and it presents itself to you too much like it would in a film, then you need to ask it. (laughs) I should ask it why it's presenting itself so stereotypically why you know if you're if you're talking to a spirit and it's claiming that it's x y and z and you're like nah that that seems you're you're hitting all the correct boxes like you're literally checking all of the boxes of a demon or something you know ask it ask yourself why is this thing actually presenting that way is it is it a thought form that's just running crazy from your subconscious um and it it is super interesting i cannot wait to dive more into that idea of thinking like how much does the brain how much control does that have over what you're seeing yeah i will Mm. say brian um related to all of this in a more a little like a i guess a little bit more of a medicine i did uh, as part Mm. of a book club here start reading um men who stare at goats the actual book not the (laughs) comedy film uh, not yeah. funny at all. It has a lot of animal abuse in it. So it's very like, it's, mm. it's not a read if you don't like people killing goats and hurting yeah, them. Yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. Not for me. It talks about the ideas of, you know, what, what, what the U.S. government has entertained about, you know, making maybe like warrior monk sort of people that can do things with their bringing thought into reality you know if i if i look at a goat Mm. and i believe uh that i'm killing it ending it putting it down that that can actually translate into something that will then you know kill that goat in a way 
So I don't know. It's an interesting line of thought. It's something I probably would have called and screamed bullshit at just even six months ago and been like, I'm not interested in this at all. But as I dive deeper, I find threads to be more and more intertwined with like all these other cases and like. Definitely true. And I've I've even read articles saying that like the government has like powerful psychic people that they'll use to like do remote remote viewing on people like to spy for them and stuff like that. And um, if you look back at like MK ultra uh, the, during the sixties when the CIA was uh, experienced experimenting with psychedelic drugs to see if it would uh, allow people to unlock psychic powers or like, some military utilization for those. Um, I forget where I was going with that, but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I lost my No, you're fine. I've been like that. I've been spacing out all day. <laughs> it's just, I'm tired it's today. a Tuesday <laughs> chat. I know I woke up with, I woke up with a, like a terrible headache too. It's kind of gone away at this point, yeah. but like, whew, that was a, that was a stinky start. So um, yeah, that's I feel you though, like th- this idea of 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 bringing, well, Freddie in chat says so. He says so. Some uh, supernatural beings manifestations might be evolving alongside humans in their way, being reshaped by the human mind. Yeah, that is pretty much the theory. It's it goes by a couple different things of like manifestation theory, uh, and you get into some other names. Yeah. But yeah, Freddie, the idea generally being that. It's like it's crazy because you look at you look at the the paranormal field and you're like, okay, this is kind of crazy as is. Why is there no evidence? And then when you get deeper into it, you're like, oh, the reason that a lot of paranormal people or a chunk of them don't believe that there's evidence is because we think a lot of it's going on upstairs. And that tends to be me, too. I'm I'm a guy that kind of thinks a lot more of it comes from our minds than we might want to believe. I, I think one of my favorite ways Oh, was it their documentary or oh, this is what happens when you watch too many spooky things all at once intentionally. I was just watching something. It could have been the Mothman one, Brian, but basically saying if our brains are seeing some of these things, they might be seeing them like we're skipping through radio stations and that in itself is getting us these really blurry images and also that right. some of these entities might be like flipping through our minds really quickly, seeing what sort of like you could say it's the entity or our brain, I guess. Either either works, whoever you want to put the agency on. But one of the two is just choosing an image from your mind, what you already can conceive yes. of. And that's what it's projecting to you. Exactly. Yeah. And I have some theories about that as well, because if you think about it, like, you know, the Mothman theory and the, you know, folklore about things like, for example, fairies and uh, alien UFO lore. So here's one thing that kind of lends itself to what you're saying is like back in medieval times, like people didn't know how to explain the lights they were seeing in the sky. So they go, Oh, there's these fairies and they'll kidnap you and they'll take you back to the home world. And now that science and technology is part of our lives. What if we're seeing the exact same thing, except that either a, we know how to conceptualize it or we know what it is because we know how a combustion engine works and we know how airplanes work. So we're like, Oh, that's a flying machine. Or B, yet again, we're painting it with something that our mind is able to conceptualize. What if, 
what if when people see aliens, their brain is just kind of filling in the blank because they just can't fathom what it actually is. They're seeing something and the brain goes like, all right, yeah, that's like a, an airplane, but different or something like that. Cause it's like something we already kind of understand to try and, you know, justify what we're actually perceiving, <laughs> I guess. I would say very, very well said, because I I pulled up one here for people that I, I someday want to dive into this with much more fervor than I've ever had the chance before. But this is the um, the mystery airship Wikipedia page of uh, in yeah. 1896 and early 1897. Yeah. People claim seeing uh, ships flying over the United States, the eastern seaboard here that actually were dirigible like so like zeppelins or mm -hmm. actually um wooden ships yeah. uh, as some of these reports go on which to me really lines up well with your theory brian which is that based on our technological understanding at the time could be how some of these things present themselves so Right. We're also like I'm, we're unpacking the back of my brain as we we go into this because I'm I'm slowly like leafing mentally <laughs> through Keel's book there where he also goes to say, yeah, you know if 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 this he he believed that the UFO phenomenon he calls them ultra terrestrials meaning yeah meaning not not from this planet I use double negative there so he's implying that they are from this planet that's Earth that's yes earthbound. Yes extraterrestrial being off earth ultra terrestrial right. being out of our traditional understanding of our functional reality here that we can touch and feel and smell and science right. away um but these things maybe yeah. being from outside of that so yeah i mean what wh what if in truth i'm just speculating here but if they do just if they do just look like this amalgamation of light or something it's just let's just say they look like something super bright and our brains can't even yeah. really interpret what they are um, yeah. yeah, you could see the brain starting to fill those things in. We also know we do this on the regular too. Like Brian, I'm sure you've done one of those ones online where it's like someone will type <laughs> out a word really weird, but you can still read it. No problem. Like our brain yes, is a pattern seeking beast. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's our attempt to fill in the blank or make sense of things. Yeah. That it, it it's the same sensation. It's yeah. You're, you're, either seeing a pattern and trying to like, you know, par pareidolia where you see a face pattern or like when you see something you just can't understand your brain, you know, where, when you see a misspelled word where a few of the letters are backwards, your brain forms it to what you already know. So like you already know what word it's trying to say. So that's what you fill in. And it's, and it could very well be the same thing when we see like a UFO and we're like, what is that? It's, I guess it's an airplane, but weird, you know, it's like, it's the same thing. I think it could be. Uh, so this is, so I'm, I'm just looking at, at, at this stuff here. So in, this is, pardon me for those that aren't looking at it, for those in the, 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 podcast form we're on the mystery airships wikipedia page just for a second again don't take take wikipedia as the end all be all i'm just throwing out general concepts here but um yeah. so there's one i want to really look into that they say quote in uh, 1909 through 1913 these mystery airships were actually seen then over new england new zealand and various european locations uh, later reports came from the United Kingdom in 1912 and 1913. They do call out at the mm -hmm. time, uh, by by this time, 1913, uh, 
airship technology was well enough advanced. They'd been flying some Zeppelins then. So that's where right. they start to get a little bit funny and it may, you know, get explained away technology wise. But it sounds like if this, if this, when I dig into this case in more detail in the future, if it shakes up, I mean, that would be so, so interesting to see these ships have been appearing before Zeppelin technology was even a thing. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And I want to say, um, I want to say it was like, oh, it was a TV show, maybe a history channel documentary where they were like talking about, uh, or maybe it was ancient aliens. I don't know, but they were talking about how like people, uh, now had seen these flying objects. They didn't say they were UFOs, but, uh, in some, in ancient cultures, sometimes they would describe flying chariots in the sky, or they would describe, uh, like men riding birds or like just weird stuff. Um, and it went through historically and, uh, it went through all these paintings starting like before, uh, the middle ages and going up through the Renaissance and stuff like that of different paintings where it looks like there could be UFOs in the background. And some of them were really weird and interesting. Um, so what you're talking about with the, uh, what is it? The phantom airship right? mystery Whatever. airship. Sure. Mystery airship. Okay. Yeah. It could be that that goes back even further. It's just before that we didn't have Wikipedia. To totally could. Now here's something I found interesting, totally on accident. Uh, in, in this, yeah. this is the 1896 uh, entry. So they mentioned Charles Fort, who I believe is where we get the word Fortian from. Charles Fort was a, an yeah. investigator of that. So when we say like things like singular Fortian, uh, like that website we were talking about earlier, that is what we, I am a Fortian person. I'm interested in things that are beyond, I guess like fringe sciences would be another way or the phenomena, people yeah. that investigate that. So, yeah. So um, in this, it goes on, it says in 1868, Charles Fort sighted a major airship uh, sighting over Chile, which I didn't see earlier, uh, described as a gigantic shining bird driven by a noisy motor. In a variation of the usual airship in July 29th of 1880, two witnesses in uh, Louisville, Kentucky saw a flying object. This is where it gets really interesting. Described as, quote, a man surrounded by machinery, which he seemed to be working with his hands, with wings protruding yeah. from his back. Nearly a month later, similar sightings happened in New Jersey. It was written in the New York Times as apparently a man with bat's wings and improved frog's legs. The monster <laughs> waved his wings in answer to the whistle of a locomotive. Interesting. <laughs> I am so, so confused. And back in those days, there was no air traffic. So, like, they couldn't have been seeing if if those accounts are factual and, you know, true, they couldn't have been seeing just a passenger plane because those things weren't around. So, like, man, what was that? And maybe it was Jetpack Man. Maybe he's like an immortal being. Oh, my God. Jetpack. I have definitely I <laughs> hey listen I I have heard that I listened to last podcast on the left and they floated that theory of like what if what if Jetpack Man comes you know throughout all the time but then the other co-host goes if my friends die in like you know some sort of thing like, it's true don't be flying your jetpack around those crazy 
commercial yeah. airline flight pads. Like you or a whole yeah, plane is going to get hurt. So jetpack man, you're grounded as far as I'm concerned. T- take it somewhere <laughs> good, where uh, good fun. Take it somewhere they don't fly. Like don't <laughs> LAX is dang- the most dangerous. I would argue. Oh, uh, anyway. Oh yeah. Like mm. two, probably like under, you know, there's probably like five airports in the United States that have the most foot traffic. I'd say it's like LAX, like probably LaGuardia yeah. or Kennedy, something in, you know, New York. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, maybe don't be flying them around those. You could choose. What about West yeah. Virginia, where there's, again, like we said, no one's there? <laughs> that might be a good spot to yeah. fly your jetpack. And you could dress up like Mothman and it would be give us something to talk about on the show. So Absolutely. absolutely oh my goodness so anyway chat that kind of that kind of brings us i think towards a nice healthy conclusion to this week's episode as we kind of round up and give you guys some last thoughts all i can say brian is i need to get into the chernobyl stuff because i want to know chernobyl mothman i should say i want to know if there's any validity to it outside of the screenwriter who claims to have actually started it that would be interesting are there any right i guess reports it would yeah, because be... you made it sound like it started. That's when it all started. So I'm kind of inclined to say probably not. But you yeah, know. I mean, the one thing I'll add to it is the Soviet Union at the time had I would I don't want to say the same amount of sightings as the U.S. But when you look at like global UFO sightings, they had a lot at the time. Um, Where was that in uh, the Russia or Soviet Union? Yeah, because this this is I, yeah. I think I think because um, the exclusions I think I think it's in Belarus, but or I for chat who who actually has is it Belarus or Ukraine that has Chernobyl sitting inside? I know the exclusion Ukraine. goes between the two. Um, is it Ukraine oh. that has the actual facility? I thought so, but now you're making me doubt it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the know. two. I mean, they're again, they're neighbors, and it sits right on the border between because it didn't matter so much back then. Uh, right. So either way, it's uh, I don't know. Lots of interesting stuff coming out, and not not a lot at the same time. Not a lot of it was would have been reported. So true. Tricky, yeah, very tricky. True. Especially, Especially in uh, in the Soviet Union, because uh, I believe they really were controlling about the information that they let through in journalism and stuff like that. Because, uh, like, for example, they might have thought it was a UFO. And uh, to the public of Russia at the time, that might have meant the United States was winning the space race. It could have... Uh, they. All kinds of reasons to suppress uh, information during the Cold War on both sides. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if those things did happen, but never were documented or talked about, you know? Yeah, there's some interesting ones. That's, uh, I will say Russia has a very healthy, it sounds like a a UFO community, kind of like us. So (laughs) go go forth and connect with your fellow Russian friends over there and learn their stories because there's a couple i'd love to dive into um i know around chelyabinsk in russia they have a case of uh an alien being found quote unquote where this babushka goes out in the woods and finds this like little petrified alien thing and brings it back and there's all kinds of stuff on there um yeah, Strange. yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't know. the It's it's very hard to trust the validity of some of these cases, just like with ours in the United oh, States, because yeah. anytime you get a time frame difference between the folks, um, 
it's just a question of who was believing what at the time. I mean, we got scary things like yeah. Chernobyl on, you know, literally in your backyard. Uh, it, it, it brings up a lot of questions like, geez, you think yeah. how we treat nuclear things over here and how we're like, oh, my gosh, that could have mutated a monster. And then we're actually looking at a case <laughs> where, yeah, tons of radiation was dumped. Then you can only imagine the stories and the kind of hauntings, if yeah. you will, that kind of come with that tragedy. So. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, it's like, uh, what was the power plant in 2011? The Fukushima. Yeah. It's like, we're all going to become mutants pretty soon. Cause that's the all in the ocean and stuff. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> we're all going to become glowing creatures. Oh, well, that's fun. Maybe I'll get superpowers. To... I, hey, if I can see and talk to some of these entities, then I guess I'll take it. Godzilla. Here we come, says Flip. Yeah. Well, chat, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode uh, or of, of Brian and I's Tuesday segment. As a reminder, we are back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, I will say, check go out. If you guys have not already seen the website or subscribed to the two podcast feeds, you absolutely should. We put these ones up here um, so you can grab these off the Revelator feed. Um, go definitely subscribe to Chaos and Shadow feed as well. We just did an interview with Michelle Bellinger from uh, Portals to Hell, Paranormal State. You guys have probably seen her on TV multiple times. She's got fantastic oh. stuff, including a YouTube channel. She's even got her own... Uh, like, if, I, I forget what the name of the house is. I want to say it's like Instinct House, but that's not, I don't think, the name of it. She's got a house, Brian, that they rent out as a B&B, &B, which has oh. very active yet friendly entities in there. Like, I would love, love, love to yeah. go and stay there someday, especially as someone we've had a chat with and she's wonderful. I'd love yeah, to see it, but they same. rent it out as like a cottage for those who want to yeah. uh, get into witchcraft and stuff like that and actually start communicating with spirits because it's, again, a safe environment, That's you know, cool. good stuff. Uh, but you, you right. I, I, even on Twitter the other day, I saw a woman reporting like she had been there and she was like, oh, my gosh, this spirit just loved this piece of art I brought with me. And Michelle was chatting back and forth. That's so, cool. yeah, That's cool. once once we get the whole COVID thing taken care of, I cannot wait to go out there and actually start doing some of these yeah. investigations mothman festival brian is now highly on my oh list i really want to go here. it's like burning man mothman festival those are my two <laughs> burning man <laughs> would be great oh okay i'm leaving one weird last tidbit for you this is a, my promise okay. brian my last weird tidbit for you uh okay <laughs> reading a book called chaos protocol about chaos magic yep. in this crazy world we live in. And they brought up a point that I guess a small study was done at Burning Man where they had a bunch oh. of random number generators there. And I guess, oh. interestingly enough, I've not done my own research, that uh, during specific parts of the festival when people were channeling their energy certain ways towards certain events and moments and all the psychedelics that people were doing, right? Uh, it yeah. was affecting these random number generators to some degree that like during these events, I yeah. guess you would get numbers shooting out. So I know nothing more than that blurb, but I'm just throwing that out there, chat. Do some research maybe on that. We'll, uh, maybe we'll talk about that on another episode. I'd <laughs> love to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Global consciousness. Sure. Is that something blip? If so, let us know. I'm going to I'm going to definitely dive into that. Brian, what have you been up to? Tell the folks where where they can get all the Brian. 
Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Brian and I run a website called ghostquest.net. Uh, it's one of the internet's largest online databases of allegedly haunted locations. Um, so this last week I've been working my butt off at getting my new book published. It's called the folklore and haunted locations guide, Michigan. And, uh, it details over 275 allegedly haunted locations and ghost stories in the state of Michigan. Um, so I've been working on that just all day, every day. I spent a good 12, 14 hours on it yesterday. I'm about to go work on it now, actually, once we're off here. So that's been my life for the last week. And hopefully I'll be done with that soon and on to bigger and better things. <laughs> that is that. Brian is always killing things. it out there. You, you have so much going on. <laughs> Guys, if you have not checked out Brian's stuff, make sure you're following him. I put out... Uh, there is a, a Twitter link thing in chat. I see it from Moobot. You can listen to Brian's interview uh, that we did off air. We recorded one, Peg and Brian and I, about about a month or so ago that now. That was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, it really was. That was us just BSing mm -hmm. and having a fun time, Chad. So go listen. Uh, Brian's got the yes. beautiful site set up with all the different areas you can click on, go into detail of the areas. Look, I just opened Bennington right off the bat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. So uh, it, it is fantastic. Brian, thank you for joining yes. me. I appreciate this. this these Tuesdays are wonderful. Chat, if you guys get news stories that you want us to cover, please feel free to send them to us. Mm. Brian says he's always opened them if you want to tweet them at him. Uh, yep. I'd say for me, I'm I'm better with email and stuff like that, keeping my stories together. So I'd say go over the Chaos and Shadow website if you want to send it my way. Uh, we also have the discussion board. So this is something I'll point out too. This is the one of the features that's still totally under work. So like, again, bear with me if something breaks or is otherwise strange. But um, we're, we're getting together these discussion boards here where you can throw some of your own news stories. It works, I'd say, very similar to Facebook. It is mm. secure in the sense it logs you out a lot. So you might want to do like a Google login. I've noticed that to be a little more reliable. I'm, me typing my administrative password tires me. So just a, a suggestion. Uh, but yeah, if you yeah. guys want to share stories and stuff under there, be happy to, to that'd be a great place for me to get it. Um, otherwise, go forth, you guys, dive into some stuff. Check out our friends over at the Singular Fortian. I'm hell-bent on reaching out to them and getting them on the show because I've been, you, you know, we've been talking about all their stuff. And then this yeah, Friday, for sure. big interview this Friday, you guys, the crew behind Small Town Monsters, the one that makes all the documentaries yeah. we were chatting about today. They're coming on this Friday. It'll happen um, about, what do we say? We start at... 9 a.m. Pacific, so it'll be 10 a.m. Pacific. 10 a.m. Pacific, they should be joining us, if I can speak. Uh, they're going to be talking about the Mothman Legacy and their upcoming The Mark of the Bell Witch, which is out uh, for pre-order right now, coming December 15th. Yeah, and me and Kyle got a chance to take a look at that Bell Witch one, and it looks awesome. Uh, when Kyle sent me a link, I didn't realize it was going to be the whole thing, and I, <laughs> I didn't want to put it down. I wanted to keep watching it, but I didn't have time, so you got I'm more so homework. looking forward to that. More fun yeah. homework, Brian. Yeah, I know, right? Fun that, homework. What a nice thing for them to send us a screener of that. So huge shout out. 
Um, so cool. I did not see, and, and to keep the excitement high for them, coming spring of 2021 is a On the Trail of Bigfoot, the Journey documentary. So uh, I'm in. Just saying, I'm already signing All up. Right. I'm there. I'm, I'm going to be there. I want to yeah. see what's going on with Bigfoot. So, chat, thank you for everything. Uh, good news also about the end screen that doesn't exist right now. I got the software I need to do that. So I splurged on Final Yay. Cut this weekend, and uh, I will be adjusting those. I know. Kyle's going to be not eating for the next few weeks. That's right, chat. <laughs> Kyle will be on a starvation diet for the next few weeks. If you want to make sure that doesn't happen, go over to chaosofshadow.com. Consider becoming a member. Get all your cool access. Go check out all of Brian's stuff. We will be back here tomorrow. Uh, it should be Pagan and I holding down the fort, doing a little bit of a workshop. I think we're just going to keep working on our like uh, candle sigil magic stuff is, is the plan. Uh, we want to nice. do an updated one now the election has passed and everything. And um, I know this Thursday, I think we're going to take it easy since we spent a lot of website building time. We're going to do a season one recap of the podcast before we dive into whole new concepts oh. the following week. Yeah, we decided cool. to sit down, take some time and actually look it over in its holistic. So, chat, thank you awesome. for being here. We will see you tomorrow. Brian, thank you for everything. And chat, again, you kind of get me yeah. just waving my hands like a weirdo as I as I go out the door and say, <laughs> goodbye, go watch these documentaries so you can talk to the, the film crew this Friday with us. Bye, see you tomorrow.